We're in a series that we're calling The Ripple Effect. We're in the fourth week of that series. If you want to get the messages, you're welcome to do that by just emailing us at bridgechurchinfo at bridgechurch.cc. And you can follow along today in the app. If you haven't downloaded the Bridge app, please do that. All kinds of just uh, information about who we are as a church and what's going on and events and activities, as well as outlines for today, scriptures for today. You can take your own notes, save it to your journal, share it with people, take advantage of that opportunity. And then if you are going to put something on social media, and I hope you will, use hashtag the ripple effect so we can all see it together. So far, we've learned about priorities. We've learned about the importance of making the biggest splash, making our top priority the center, uh, and then out of that flows the ripples. And what we've learned very simply is that the bigger the splash you make in the middle, what happens? Hello, are you out there? The bigger the ripple effect is, right? And so you, you want a bigger ripple effect on the outer rings, then you make a bigger splash in the center. If you start dropping rocks in the outer rings, trying to get them bigger, what happens? You've created chaos. Now you've got competing ripple effects, and it becomes very chaotic. But when you focus on the center first, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and these things will be added to you, then that creates both the energy and the power to accomplish all the other things that you need, want, desire in life, and that God has designed for you. And we even identified what those ripples are. Jesus, of course, is the center. I love that song, Jesus Be the Center, and I hope that sticks in your head and you go around singing it in the shower or quietly if you can't carry a tune, but sing it and keep that in your mind as you go through life. Because hear me, guys, and here's what we kind of picked up on last week. I hope you did. Is that, is that when you make Jesus the center, not only are all these things added to you, uh, and, and not only does it empower all those ripples, but it actually defines what you want those ripple effects to be. Last week we talked about family, that, that next circle outside of Jesus. The most important human relationships we have are, are our families. And so not only does making Jesus the center impact that ripple effect, but it defines what we want that ripple effect to be in that we want our families to go to heaven with us. Can I get a hand clap of agreement on that one? Amen. So this week, we're talking about the church. Next week, we'll be talking about the community, because I don't believe the church exists for itself. It's the one organization or organism on the planet that does not exist for itself. It exists for the needs of the people that are not here yet. That's why we exist. We'll talk about that next weekend. For now, we're talking about uh, your relationship with your spiritual family, your church. Over the last 21 days, we've been fasting and praying, and one of the reasons we did that, building up to today, is I wanted all of us as individuals who call this place home to be making the biggest splash we can in the center, because what I'm going to share with you today uh, is the vision that I believe God has given us for the next several years, for the next season in the life of the bridge. And i got to be honest with you, I've been thinking and praying and fasting and, uh, and crying and, and excited about sharing today for a very long time, and I can't wait to get into it uh, with you. Here, here's, here's what I want to say to you quickly, if I can. Um, I believe with everything in me that the bridge as a ministry is at a historic pivot point. That something is shifting that's going to be bigger than we dare to dream or think or ask. Ephesians 3.20, right? 
But we have to decide, and a lot of what we're going to talk about today will help you to decide whether we're going to respond to that in faith or in fear. Whether we're going to step into it or step away from it. So before I share the vision with you, I want us to go to the Word of God and I want us to understand uh, the formula, if you will, the steps, the dynamics that are essential for us to be able to step into this thing that I believe God's promising to give us so that we respond in faith and we can be a part of it. And then we're going to spend the rest of our morning talking about the vision. So put your running shoes on. We're going to go fast. We've got a lot of ground to cover. But I want to make sure we got the, the foundation of the Word and what we're about to do before we get into sharing the vision with you. You with me? You want to get into it? Here we go. Step number one is if you really want to step into what God has for you, the first step is you've got to trust God's leaders. You've got to trust God's leaders. Let's go to the story in Joshua chapter 3, beginning with verse 1 through 4. Let's read it, and I'll give you a little background. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levites carrying it, you're to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. A little backstory for those of you that aren't familiar with it, perhaps, or to get the wheels turning for all of us. The nation of Israel left their home 400 plus years before this point because of famine in the land. They went down to Egypt because they were starving. And while in Egypt, God raised up a great nation within the nation. It got so big, even though there were slaves, many of the pyramids that are in Egypt today were built by those Hebrew slaves during that 400 years. And, and, and even though they were slaves, they became so powerful that Pharaoh got nervous about them and kicked them out. Of course, there was the whole part about Yule Brenner and Charlton Heston and let my people go. And, you know, God had to nudge him a little bit to get it happen. But still, Pharaoh finally kicks them out of the nation. They come to the Red Sea. You know that part of the story? You know where the Charlton Heston holds out that stick and the waters part and, and they got to the other side or Moses or whatever name you want to use. Uh, just want to see if you're listening. That's all. <laughs> and they started a journey across the desert back home. Back to the promised land, Canaan, the place that they had come from. When they reached the border, they sent in 12 spies. You, you, some of you guys know the story. They, they sent in 12 spies to kind of check things out. Ten of them came back and said, oh, man, it's a beautiful place, but there are giants on the land. We can't do this. In other words, ten of them responded to God's promise in fear. Only Joshua and Caleb responded in faith. Only Joshua and Caleb said, God said we can, therefore we can. Let's go do this thing. Uh, and ultimately, it's only Joshua and Caleb, but that whole generation that made it into the promised land. The only ones that made it in. So here we are. Because they responded in fear, they had to do another lap in the desert. They got back to Kadesh Barnea, responded in fear, had another lap in the desert. After seven laps in the desert and 40 years they're back at the boundary again. So you're tracking with me? Do your heads like this? You're tracking with me. They're back at the border again, but this time Joshua is the leader, and Joshua has built a team of leaders that he knew would respond in faith, and he sent those leaders out to tell the people, get yourself ready uh, because this is about to happen, and I know you've never been this way before, and I know that's kind of scary, but trust us, we, we've heard from God, okay? You with me? So let me ask you this, is, is that easy? 
I mean, is that easy to follow somebody else who says, I know the way to go, when you don't know the way to go? And you don't know where it's going to lead you, and you don't know what's going to happen. Is that easy? We, we used to play a game when I was in, uh, uh, in youth camp. I grew up in Michigan. I went to a camp in, in Michigan. It was an interesting camp. Um, we used to play a game called Blindfold Race. You ever play that game? Here's how it worked. I'm serious. Here's how it worked. They would, they would set us on one side of the woods, and then there was a finish line on this other side of the, this patch of woods, and, and two of us would be blindfolded, and then somebody behind him would not be blindfolded. And the job was for us to make our way through the woods to the finish line, whoever got there first won, and the guy behind us was the navigator who would give you directions. There were two kinds of people that ran that race every time. There was the first kind, blindfolded, did not trust the guy giving directions in the back. And so what did he do? Okay, what did I do? <laughs> he said, go, and I took off. And I bumped into a tree, and I rolled off of it, and I went to the next one, and I bumped into that one, and I rolled off of it. And I finally got to the other side all bruised up and beat up and lost the race every time. The other guy went, and the navigator said, take two steps forward. Take one step to the left, take two steps forward, take three steps to the right. Guess who won the race every time? The guy who trusted the one who could see where they needed to go. One of the, come on, that's, that's what happens every time. And I just, I'm just here to tell, I, yeah, and that's hard, that can be hard. So let's assume that we understand that biblical principle um, Hear me when I say the responsibility doesn't rest on the followers. Go back to my race. It rests on the navigator. It rests on the person who gives good directions. I was at a bank one time uh, waiting to do some personal business, and I was kind of in the outer area, and uh, they had a TV with the news going, and this lady came in, and, uh, and she saw the TV news. She said, what's, so what's on the news? And I said, well, there's this controversy going on in the church, and there's a lot of kind of mess. This pastor is messed up. And, and uh, she said, that just proves my theory. You can't trust any preachers anymore. So I'm praying, what, what, what do I do with that one? And I finally said, well, uh, some of us are trying to be trustworthy. <laughs> she said, you, you, you a preacher? <laughs> Yes, ma'am, I pastored the church over here. And she said, well, I'm sorry, but I just don't believe you can trust preachers anymore. About that time, they called me to go back and sign my papers, and I signed them. And when I came back out, she was still sitting there, so I stuck my head back in the door, and I said, you know, I am so deeply sorry that some preacher somewhere along the way hurt you. Um, I know that's where that comes from. And she told me that she was raped by a pastor when she was 16. She was 50 at that point, had never forgiven him, never would. And I gave her my card, and I said, it's no pressure here, but if I could ever prove trustworthy to you, I'd love the privilege to try. You see, the responsibility is not on the follower. The responsibility is on the leader to be trustworthy. Leadership is not being on top calling the shots. It's being out front, showing the safe path through the minefield. That's what leadership is. Come on. And yes, I'm talking about husbands love your wives so much that you would die for them. 
That, that's what I'm talking about. And I'm talking about leaders in the church. I've said it privately. I'll say it publicly. Right now, at this moment in my life, I have the privilege of working with the finest leadership team I've ever had the opportunity to work with in my life. Uh, it's just absolutely incredible. It is. I mean, we all got our strengths and weaknesses. We're all imperfect being, but the, beings, but the staff, the elders, the financial stewardship team, our small group leaders, our ministry team leaders, I don't mind telling you that, uh, that standing here, getting ready to cast vision to you for where we, I believe God's going to take us over the next few years, I feel a little bit like the pygmy <coughs> who had a rhino charging at him and he killed that rhino. And a, and a hunter came along and saw what happened, and he said to the pygmy, he said, how in the world did a little guy like you kill a big old rhino like that? And the pygmy said, well, I killed him with my club. And the hunter said, well, how big's your club? Said, well, there's about 200 of us now. And <laughs> Let's go see. So you're seeing Jim up here sharing this, but what you're seeing is a couple hundred leaders who've worked hard, prayed hard, talked hard, thought hard to come to this place. In our joint meeting of the elders and financial stewardship team meet just last week, uh, they made some bold decisions to create the structure that would help us move forward. And I said, guys, I just, I honor you for the courage to embrace this bold vision. And our church treasurer, Ricky Lancaster, said, um, and they all agreed with him, uh, we're honored to serve a congregation that trusts us. The first step to embracing vision and stepping into the promised land is you got to trust God's leaders. Step number two on this journey is you got to focus on God's power, not yours. What I'm going to share with you this morning is not humanly possible. It, it can't be done. Not by me, not by us collectively. It can only be done because it's God's vision and God's going to do it. And so Joshua understood that. So what did he say in 3.5? Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Who will do amazing things? God will do amazing things. What's their part? It's consecrate themselves. It's the Hebrew word kadash. And kadash means to completely dedicate yourself. Hold nothing back. I am all in. As Pastor Andy said this morning, I, I'm just, yeah, let's all put our shoulder to the same wheel. Let's all push in the same direction. Let's all do our part. And let's dedicate ourselves to this thing wholeheartedly. Joshua is saying, get yourselves ready. God's about to do something awesome, but we have to be ready when he calls or we're going to miss it. We're going to miss it. That sounds easy enough, but how many of you know the moment God calls his people to do something amazing in his power, Satan calls his minions to try to stop them? You figured that one out yet? There's always a spiritual battle that's associated with moving forward in the kingdom of God. And the spies, uh, in the case of the spies that went in, 10 came back and, and said, you know, there's giants in the land. And, uh, and, and we'll see in a minute, on this particular occasion, uh, they're about to cross a river that's at flood stage without a bridge. It's a perfect setup for Satan to use his favorite tactic, which is fear. Am I right? Fear comes in a lot of different forms. Let me mention three and we'll move on. There's always the fear of inadequacy. This is too hard. There's no bridge. How are we going to cross this thing? We're just ordinary people from Ordinaryville. How, how, who, who, how, well, you, we can't do this. Are you kidding me? You, you guys know who I am, right? 
I'm a 19-year-old kid from Bladenboro, North Carolina, a town smaller than this church, who said, Jesus, I'll go where you want me to go, and I'll do what you want me to do. That's all I am. That's, that's it. That's, that's all we are. It's just a people who have said, God, we'll do what you want. You give us direction, we will follow. And yes, we are inadequate, but we're not scared of that because you are our adequacy. Yeah. You'll make up the difference between what we're capable of and what you've called us to do. We believe it. We know you're going to do it. Then, of course, there's the fear of the future. We've already alluded to that. If I don't know where I'm going, can I step forward? Well, the Bible says the steps of a righteous man or woman are ordered by the Lord. So our job is to make a big splash in the center, to be that person that puts Jesus first, and then trust him with the future. And then, of course, there's a fear of failure. What if we step out and it doesn't work? What if we cast this bold vision and it doesn't happen? i got to be honest with you, it's one of my struggles through the years. When Kim and I moved to Chesapeake to start the new church there, um, we were scared to death. I mean, we had pastored small-town churches in North Carolina. We'd been in the Philippines starting little churches all across the country, and now we've moved to Hampton Roads, Virginia, having never been there in our lives. Two million people. We're overwhelmed by the whole thing, and along come some of our really close friends who, uh, well-meaning, I suppose, said things like, I kid you not, they said things like, who do you think you are? One guy, we're riding through the neighborhoods and, and praying, and one guy said, Jim, you have grabbed a bulldozer by the trailer hitch. <laughs> Somebody, Eastern North Carolina folk that just know how to put it, ain't it? <laughs> and I got to be honest with you, there were a lot of times, even before the church started, that I was tempted to say, forget it, this is too hard. I, I just, I'm out of here until I finally got my focus back and I realized this isn't about who I am. It's about who he is, and it's about what he wants to do. And I refuse to be defined by the fear that I'm inadequate or that I don't know where this is going to lead or that I might fail because at the end of the day, it's on him, not me. All I'm saying is that if you catch yourself a little bit afraid, welcome to the human race. <laughs> We all deal with that, and we all fall into the trap sometimes. So Joshua knew that, and that's why he said you've got to focus on God's power, not your own. Look at verse 13, Joshua 3.13. And as soon as the priest who carried the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot on, in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream, will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Understand what Joshua's doing. The ark of the Lord, of course, represents the presence of God. Joshua's saying... Don't forget, when you get scared, it's the presence of God that's carrying us through this thing. It's the same God who did the miracles that got you out of Egypt, the same God who parted the Red Sea, the same God who gave you manna and water while you were in the desert for 40 years, even when you were disobedient, the same God who made sure your shoes didn't wear out for 40 years, that same God's going to part the waters of this river and we're going to walk across it. It's the God who provides, because Joshua knew that if they trusted the leaders God had put in place, and if they trusted God's power instead of their own, they were about to see something amazing happen. But there's a third step that's required in this step of faith, and that is you got to step out. you got to step out in faith before you see it happen. Look, pick up the story in verse 15 and 16. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, 
Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing, so the people crossed over opposite the Jericho. Get that picture in your mind. The leaders obviously have gone out now, and they've told everybody, okay, guys, get ready. Here we go. The priests have picked up the Ark of the Covenant that represents the presence of God, and they've started down toward the river, and the closer they get to the river, the more they realize this river ain't slowing down at all, and nothing's changed, but we know what God's called us to do, so we're doing it. And they got to the place where they actually put their feet in the water, their feet are getting wet, and nothing has changed, because what did the verse say? God created the water to be dammed up upstream a ways. So there was a season after they stepped into the river that the water is still flowing even though God's already done the miracle. Is this registering? The vision that I'm going to share with you this morning will have some challenges to it. There will be some battles to fight. There will be some times along the way when you say, this is too much, this is too hard, I just don't know if I can, I don't know if we should. Those battles are going to be there, guys, but don't forget that the moment we step out by faith and say, we're going to do this thing, the miracle's already done. We're just waiting for the realization and the fulfillment of that miracle. So first the presence of God goes, and then the people follow the presence of God into the vision that he has for us, which brings us back to our historic pivot point that I mentioned. Um, If I could get kind of just personal for a minute about us, I've heard a lot of people say over the years, because those of you that know a little bit of the history, Pastor Farrell and I have been friends for 40 years and, or more, and, and, uh, and I've been close to the bridge for many, many years because of that relationship. And I've heard lots of people say, what's going on here is absolutely crazy. You can't build a huge church in the middle of nowhere, right? You can't build a huge church in the middle of a hog farm. I mean, it just can't be done. You, you got to go to a big city where there's lots of people and, and, and you know, you just, it, it can't be done. But can I tell you something? I believe with everything in me, I want you to hear this, I believe with everything in me that God put this church and this location of this church exactly where he wanted it to be. I believe that. In fact, I believe that 100 years ago, we're coming up on our 100th anniversary in September, I believe 100 years ago God knew what was going to be happening in 2018. I believe 27 years ago, Pastor Farrell knew what was coming. Maybe not all the details of it, but I think he knew. And those of you that were here 27 years ago have told me that he would cast vision. People are going to come from all over eastern North Carolina to be a part of this church. Didn't he say it? See, he saw it too out there. I think, I think God knew that Whitley Church was going to become the bridge. I believe he knew that the bridge was going to be a multi-site church. I, I, he, he knew that one day there would be hundreds of thousands of people in eastern North Carolina, the buckle of the Bible belt, who, who never darkened the door of a church, who believe in God but have given up on the church. I believe he knew that I-42 was going to cross right past this location, putting us right in the center of eastern North Carolina. I believe he knew that. I believe he positioned us exactly where he wanted us to be. In fact, just putting numbers on it, I believe he put the Princeton location of the bridge smack dab in the middle of 200,000 spiritually starving people. 
And I believe God is saying to us, feed them. The ushers are coming. They're going to move among you fairly quickly. Let's do that as quickly as we can. And, uh, and they're going to give you a document that we're calling the Multiply and Mature uh, uh, Season, the Multiply and Mature Vision. They're going to put that in your hands while they're doing that. Uh, I want to tell you a little story from Jesus' life because I think it sets up what we're about to do. Let me tell you a little backstory. Jesus at this point, the story I want to tell you is at the height of his ministry. Thousands of people are coming to hear him teach. And on this particular day, he's been teaching somewhere between 10 and 15,000 people, 5,000 men plus women and children all day long. Uh, so you got the scene, Matthew chapter 14. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus replied, that isn't necessary. You feed them. The, the disciples struggle with that one, buddy. I mean, you read the whole story. They're going, what, 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 what? fear of inadequacy, fear of failure, fear of all that stuff welled up inside of them. But Jesus said, not in explicit terms, but he said, as Joshua did so long ago, if you'll trust your leaders, if you will trust the power of God, and if you'll step out in faith, I'll show you what I can do. But you've got to do that. You've got to trust the leaders that are in place. You've got to trust my power, and you've got to step out by faith. Because if you wait, hear me, guys, if you wait until God does it to believe it, that's not faith. That's thankfulness. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did. Should we be thankful for what he did? Sure, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're not talking about thankfulness. We're talking about vision. We're talking about faith. We're talking about looking forward to something we can't see that we believe is coming. So everybody got a document in your hands? If you don't have one, stick your hand up. The ushers will be glad to serve you. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to review the vision that's going to take several years to fulfill I told somebody the other day, if there's a hallmark of my ministry over the years, it has been that, that if I get serious about this thing, if I fast and pray and I bring leaders together, I seem to be able to, to, to hear from God and get a vision for the future. Uh, but I stink at timing. I, I, it always takes longer or shorter than I thought, so I quit putting clocks on this, okay? I just know that it takes time for vision to be fulfilled. So let's walk through it, and then we're going to look at the actual goals. We are putting a timetable on that. Goals for 2018, and then I'm going to ask you to join us in this journey. Let's just paragraph at a time real quick. Read it with me together. If the Lord tarries his return, because hear me, guys, if you don't hear anything else, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets here before the Super Bowl. Come on. Can you think of any reason that would stop him from coming other than he's being patient, not wanting anybody to perish? I can't think of a single reason. So here we go. If the Lord tears his return, read it with me, we will see people coming to the bridge from every socioeconomic level, ethnicity, and generation. We already see generational diversity in the house. I was in Hardy's the other day, and there was an older couple there. And understand what a guy my age says, an older couple, I actually mean an ancient couple, okay, just is really old. Surprise, they're still with us, kind of age group. And uh, I didn't say that to them, I'm just saying it to you. <laughs> and online for the world. I mean, that's all I'm doing. 
But, uh, but I got into conversation with them. I know that's hard for you to believe. I'm such a shy guy. But anyway, I got into a conversation with them, and I told them I was the pastor at the bridge. And they said, oh, yeah, that's where the young people go. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, it's where the young at heart go. But I can promise you, you would not be the oldest person in the room if you came. And so we do see all, all the generations coming uh, from just born the other day to uh, Miss Minnie celebrated her 90th birthday just a few weeks ago. And we're seeing God move in wonderful ways. We're beginning to see that ethnic diversity. Uh, we got a long way to go. Uh, we're not trying to force it. We just welcome everybody walks through our door. But here's what I believe. I believe the healing of the nation in terms of our racial tensions has to start in the body of Christ for it to happen. And I long for the day when the church, in terms of its ethnic makeup, looks just like its community. I long for that day. Second paragraph, we'll have, a dynamic, we'll have dynamic weekend services that are well known as a place where we can connect with God, find a fresh start in life, and learn practical biblical truths for living. We've been known for this for a long time, but there are still tens of thousands of people around here that don't know that about us. They don't know that they can come here and meet Christ. They don't know that they can come here and get practical answers for life. They don't know that we're a hospital for the hurting, and I see that happening more and more in the days ahead. Number three, we will see people connecting in small groups and serve teams, forming deep relations that honor Christ. We have to keep growing larger because there are so many people that desperately need Jesus, but we're about relationships here. I mean, it's, it's, we're about building a bridge to Christ and a bridge to the family of Christ. And so we've got to get better at small groups and ministry teams than we have. And I see the day when this is not a crowd of people, this is a group, a cluster of small groups. And those small groups are reaching into their communities and friendships are forming. We've started that journey. I see that going to an HNL in the days ahead. All the locations of the bridge will have healthy systems for attracting and retaining guests, discipling believers, and developing leaders. Systems may not sound like a church thing to you, but in a church our size with multiple locations, the fact is we got systems for everything. We got systems for managing finances to facilities to keep up with who's coming and who's not, to who's an owner and who's not, uh, more important than anything else, uh, who's falling by the wayside and who's slipping out the back door, falling through the cracks. And at every level of growth, we have to evaluate those systems and revamp them in order to accomplish what God has called us to do. So the systems that worked at 1,000 don't work anymore. The systems that worked at 1,500 don't work anymore. We have to revamp those systems. And again, one of the reasons that I love our leaders so much is that they're willing to, to make the hard decisions to revamp the system uh, in order for us to continue staying true to this vision. As Pastor Farrell said many times, what got us here won't get us there. And so we're revamping the system and the structures and the processes. We met with all our small group leaders this past weekend, revamping how we do small groups. Why? Because we got to take it to the next level. And so we're doing a whole lot of things behind the scenes that, you know, it's kind of like a skeleton. Uh, you don't really want to see my skeleton, do you? Somebody say no. If you see it, you're going to go, ugh, it's bones are showing, right? But you're kind of glad I got one, right? And you're kind of glad my skeleton's big enough to accommodate my body. If you put uh, uh, my body on an infant's skeleton, what do we got? We got jello on the floor, right? 
the skeleton has to match the body, and so that's one of the things that I see uh, moving forward. And then the, the next paragraph, we'll see more than 4,000 people at every level of spiritual maturity. We'll see babes in Christ, adolescents growing in Christ, adults who are walking in a biblical worldview, and parents that are taking care of those babies and adolescents to grow to adulthood at every spirit, level of spiritual maturity, attending one of our locations regularly. And let me tell you quickly that that number 4,000 actually came from our leaders. We gathered about 100 of our leaders last September um, and we said, okay, here, here, one of the things I want you to do is take a slip of paper and I want you to write down the, the average attendance in all locations on a given Sunday morning 10 years from now. Just write it down. What do, what, what do you think the average attendance of this church will be uh, down the road? And the average that they gave us was between four and 5,000 people every weekend. And so we're just standing in unity with them. Uh, Pastor Farrell and I actually talked about 3,000. They've got better faith than we do. They're saying 4,000 plus, and so that's what we see coming in the days ahead. Now hear me, nothing we do is about growing a church. We're growing the kingdom of God. We're emptying hell and populating heaven. Come on, that's what we're doing. So we don't set attendance goals and all that kind of stuff. I just believe God's going to bring them, and if we create a place for them to connect, they'll stay. That's what I believe is going to happen. And I believe Jesus' call is to feed them. Finally, the Bridge Church family will make an even more of a difference across our region and beyond, giving life as we, as we give Christ. At unprecedented levels, we see our legacy going to an HNL. So here's my question before we get into the specific goals of this weekend, and we're running out of time. Is that worth investing your one and only life in? I... I Forgive me if this is too bold, but I believe that it may well be that the most spiritually significant thing you do with your one and only life, second to winning your family to Jesus, is invest in this vision. And I'm not embarrassed to say that because I stand here telling you I'm going to give the rest of my productive life to seeing it come true. And I hope you're walking with me. Now, again, let's walk through. We've got a few minutes. Let's walk through the goals. Here's what we're doing in 2018, much of which is already up and running. And I don't have time to unpack this in a lot of detail. This is not a business meeting anyway. I just want, to get, I want you to get a glimpse in your head. Visions are long range. They're the why we do things. Goals are the mission. That's what we do day by day in order for that vision to become a reality. We all know people who dream big, but they never wake up and do anything. Right? So this is not just a dream. This is a reality, and we're going to work hard to get there. So here we go. Broken down by our mission statement, which is belong, commit, grow, serve. Under belong, provide a sense of belonging to the broken and the seeking, we're going to create a connections department, a whole new department of the church whose entire ministry is to make sure that our first-time guests get connected. Here's the reality, guys. We've been averaging 2,000 first-time guests a year for the last five years. Only about 6% of them are actually connecting. See, the larger we get, the harder it is to connect. Can I get an amen from the newcomers? Come on, don't be shy with me. It's hard. You sit in a room and say, man, these people have already got their acts together. They've already got their relationships. How do you become a part of that? 
Listen, Kim and I just went through this journey two years ago, and we're going, how do you break in? How do you, get, how do you, be, you, know, how do, you do that? Well, we're going to create a department that is specifically designed for that, and our own Valerie too, who is our guest services director, she's going to keep giving leadership to that. She's taken on the mantle of, of adding the follow-up and connections to her portfolio. We've taken some other things off of her so she can do it, and so Valerie too is going to be leading our connections department, and when she comes to you and says, will you help me? Your answer is yes. I'd be glad to help any way I can. What can I do to help? I believe that by the end of 2018, we're going to average more than 1,800 in our weekend services across all of our locations. Again, it's not an attendance goal. I just believe God's going to bring them. If we connect them, they'll, they'll stay. Now, let me, again, give you some good news, bad news. The bad news is that we've been through a transition as a church. And if you're a long-timer, you know that. Uh, the attendance in 2017 was smaller than it was in 16, smaller than it was in 15. But December and January of 2017, 2018, we're right back to 2015 numbers already. <laughs> Amen. And I believe that the best is yet to come. God's going to do God's going to do amazing things, and there certainly is no shortage of harvest. Can I get an amen on that one? Under commit, call people to give their lives fully to Jesus Christ and his will. I believe we're going to see 365 people come to know Jesus Christ in this house in 2018 alone. 365 people. Can you stand with me on that one? Yeah, man. Acts chapter 2 says the Lord added daily those who were being saved. If Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and they had one a day, why can't we have one a day? So that's what we're praying for is 300, you'll hear a lot more about that one. We'll be giving you a praise report every month as we walk through the year. 365 people are going to come to Christ in this place. I'm believing for 50 on April 1st, Easter Sunday alone. I want you to pray with me about that one. We will integrate our calendar, creating synergy between weekend services, small groups, and major events. One of the things that's changing in this house and we're working hard on it in 2018, is we've had lots of events and lots of activities, and sometimes two or three different ministries are vying for the same audience at the same time. And it's become confusing for people. Which one should I do? We're promoting the next event before the first next event's actually happening. We're changing how that calendar works so that we have large gatherings, like the women's conference this coming up, and the goal of that women's conference is to teach and minister and fellowship. But the highest goal of that conference is to funnel these women into small groups where they can begin to learn and grow and develop. And then out of that, there'll be a few people that need a coach. They need a mentor. They need somebody to work with them one-on-one. -on -one. And so they will. So it's large group, small group, one-on-one -on -one group. We see that dynamic happening across the calendar, and we're working hard to get there as a church that's our goal for 2018. So if you see the calendar changing, try not to chafe at it because we're trying to make sure that this vision becomes reality, which then leads us into grow, lead people to ever-deepening levels of spiritual maturity. We're going to develop a spiritual maturity growth process here. As I mentioned, 275 people gave their lives to Christ in 2017 alone. Uh, the only way they're going to find the abundant life that Jesus promised is if they grow up in Christ. Jesus said, if you remain in me and my word remains in you, then the truth will set you free. And so we're going to develop a, a process for Christian maturity, and we're going to train you in that process. We're also going to develop a leadership training process. We've already started working with our small group leaders uh, to, to learn how that we can uh, help people to grow to that next level of spiritual maturity. 
and then I believe also in the Arab Grove, we're going to add at least one additional location in 2018. I see us launching a fifth uh, location somewhere, probably west of us. I don't know the details yet, but that's what we're going after. We're already working at it, and I just thought I'd show you a map right quick. Can we see a map? So imagine that there are four locations. The bottom yellow dot is Mount Olive. The one to the right is Goldsboro, which is casting vision for two Sunday morning services this morning because they're bursting at the seams in one service. The, the, the one in the middle is Princeton. Yeah, praise God. And then the one over to the left of, of the Princeton location is somewhere west. We're looking, obviously, into Johnston County, Smithfield, Clayton. I don't know where we're going, but I just believe God's going to do some really awesome things in the days ahead. There are 400,000 people that live in those circles, at least half of whom never darken the door of a church. There is no shortage of harvest. Serve to demonstrate the love of Jesus by generously giving resources, time, and talents. We saw those commitment cards come in a couple of weeks ago. Probably over a thousand cards are going in the mail back to you. Uh, and as we spent time praying over those things, just as Joshua had teams of leaders at every level, we're going to start raising up leaders across this house. We're going to start, yes, uh, we've got leaders in the business world, in the military world, uh, in the educational world, and we're going to train you how to take those leadership skills and put them in a ministry setting, and we're going to raise up leaders at every level across this house, leadership development is a huge deal for us, and not just leaders, but a culture of servant leadership. We already have a culture of service in this house. Would you agree? We're going to develop a culture of servant leadership where no servant ever does ministry alone. They're always saying, who can I bring with me? Who can I train? Who can I intern? I've already told the staff, if you're not interning somebody, when this church is twice the size it is now, you'll be twice as tired as you are now. And half as effective, unless you're raising up an intern to turn it over. I've got to close. But I'll ask you again, is that worth investing your one and only life in? I think it is. They're grand ideas. What will it take to become reality? It will take every one of us, it will take every one of us that call this place home taking on our share of the load. This is not a 20% doing 80% of the work kind of vision. It's not. It only happens when we're all in this together. The Gospel of John version of the feeding of 5,000 tells the story of a little boy who heard what was going on and he came to Jesus and said, here's my lunch, just a few small loaves of bread and a few fish. Uh, you want that? You can have it. And that's what I'm asking of you this morning. Bring your lunch. Share your lunch. That's all. I'm not asking you to take on an exorbitant load. I'm not asking you to do more than God designed you to do or made you to do. I'm just saying let's all bring our lunch. Let's all do our part. Let's all be in this together. I don't know if you're familiar with the Herman Ostry story. You can Google it, Google it if you want to see it. Herman and Donna Ostry lived in Bruno, Nebraska. They had a big old barn, 10-ton barn, that kept flooding, and they decided they needed to move that barn to higher ground, but they couldn't figure out how to get it up there without taking it completely apart and rebuilding it. So they put the word out to their neighbors. 
344 people came on a single day. They, they, they added a structure to that barn. They added handles all the way around that barn, and 344 people all took a handle, and they picked up that 10-ton barn, and they walked it 145 feet up a hill and set it on the new foundation, and nobody carried more than 55 pounds. That's what I'm asking you to do. Take your handle. Let's do this together. You can't pay for enough staff to pull off a vision like this. There isn't the money to do it. But when a group of people come together and put their shoulder to the same wheel and push in the same direction, there is no stopping what God can do through the unity of his people. So in closing moments, I'm going to ask you, if you're with us, if you see God working and you want to be a part of it, I don't care if you're brand new, first time you got here, or if you've been here for 25 years, I, I don't care. If you're there, would you just come gather around this altar and let's have this closing prayer together? I'm going to let you go. I realize what time it is. Just come. Stand here. We're going to pray this prayer together around the altar. And in this act of solidarity and this act of unity, we're not going to commit to any more than that which God has called us to. Maybe you're here today and you, you've never even given your life to Jesus and you said, you know, I'm not sure that I even trust this stuff or believe this stuff. God bless you. We're so glad you're here. I ask you simply to ask Jesus to speak into your heart and let him show you the fulfilling life that he has for you as we pray this prayer together. Because at the end of the day, that's, that's why these hundreds of people have gathered forward. It's just because we want you to find what we found in Jesus. That's it. You ready to pray? Thank you, Jesus. We pause in your presence, remind ourselves of the miracles that you have done in this house over the last hundred years, especially over the last 25 or so. We're just asking you to do it again and to let us be a part of it. I thank you for every man, woman, and child standing in this altar right now, for every family that they represent, for every small group, for every ministry team that they represent. I thank you for them. I pray that you not only would accept their offer of help, but that you would empower that offer and that you would multiply back to them a hundredfold everything they give to you. So here we are, Lord. We're your people. We're trusting the leaders that you've put in place. We're trusting your power, not our own. And we're saying, here we go. We're stepping out by faith. We can hardly wait to see what you do. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here today. Let's go on this journey together and see what God does. Can we raise a hand clap of praise to our God? Amen.